What's happening, weirdos? This is a huge one. This is Simon Pegg, who I have been a big, big fan of for, I mean, over a decade. Uh, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead. Obviously, you guys know I love Mission Impossible. And he has a new movie coming out, a new Ice Age movie, Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild. It's going to be on Disney Plus on January 28th. So just in a couple days, check that out. It's going to be great. I know I'm going to be watching it with Leela. It's going to be a new fave, I'm sure. And I'm thrilled. We talk a little bit about it. There's going to be new Mission Impossible movies as well. Not too much to plug up here at top. Uh, up here at top. I have a Largo show on February 12th. That's a Saturday. That is the only live date I have right now laying pretty low. But Largo on February 12th is going to be amazing. We're shooting big on the guests. And you can get tickets if you're in the L.A. area at Largo-LA.com. Those of you that know the show know that we don't do traditional ads. I only sponsor things that I absolutely love and actually use. First and foremost, I mean, it's right here. It's on my wrist. It's my Apollo Neuro. The Apollo Neuro is an incredible, incredible wearable technology that is absolutely, I'm not just saying this, there is no script. I am just talking about the Apollo Neuro. It has changed my life. It helps you by using uh, these almost, well, I'll say gentle soothing vibrations on your wrist or your ankle it vibrates and speaks directly to your nervous system with these very intricate scientifically neuroscientifically developed board certified psychiatrist developed vibrations that speak to your nervous system and help you recover and rebalance after stress it has different settings energy and wake up is incredible this is what i put it on in the morning when i am about to exercise it is like a shot of espresso but you don't have to put anything into your system it just wakes you up right away social and open a great setting for parties and and chats obviously clear and focused is what i have it on while i'm doing stand-up or while i'm doing this podcast they have incredible studies, some new ones that are coming out about cognitive performance. This is helping people that suffer uh, from, you know, attention disorders and that sort of stuff. It's incredible. The data hasn't yet been released. I'll get more specific when I can. Rebuild and recover, which is what you put it on after something stressful. I always say that I do it after I have dinner with my parents or something. But that is one of the most important ones after a workout, after a stressful situation, after a long flight, you start re-communicating to your nervous system. It is okay. If you are feeling this, how stressed can we be? That's basically one of the principles of it. Your body gets the message and you can just feel yourself relaxing and melting back into your usual self. Meditation and mindfulness is the setting that really, really converted me on it is because when I meditate with it on that setting, made my meditation the deepest it's been in years. I joked, I was like, is this thing meditating for me? Really helps you get into that quiet mind space. I put it on that setting often when I'm just at work and I just want to feel a little bit more zen. Relax and unwind is how I unwind at night and sleep and renew is what I have it on in bed and it helps me fall asleep. Literally, guys, it's like finding the fuse box to your body, to your nervous system. It's something you can do proactive when you're feeling stressed out, when you're feeling overwhelmed. It's wonderful to know that you have this ally on your wrist to help you get through those things. It is unbelievable. And if it just did, if it just had one of those settings, if it was just a wearable that helped you fall asleep, I would be excited about it. If it was just a wearable that helped you focus, I would be excited about it. Or meditate. 
But it does all of those things because the settings are so, so different. It actually trains your nervous system to cope with stress the better uh, better over time. The more you use it, the more it works. Like I said, it was developed by a neuroscientist and a board-certified psychiatrist that have been studying the impacts of chronic stress in humans for nearly 15 years. So this is not a crystal ball or anything woo-woo. This is hard science and backed by science. And their effects on stress, sleep, cognitive performance, and recovery have been proven in multiple clinical trials and real-world studies. So this is real world stuff and you can get 10% off and show your support of the show by going to apolloneuro.com slash weird that's a-p-o-l-l-o-n-e-u-r-o.com slash weird and see for yourself what me and Val (laughs) are so excited about it is truly truly incredible Speaking of some of my favorite things, my favorite earbuds currently and of all time currently, just the best fitting, best sounding earbuds I've ever owned in my life are the Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds that are out of the box amorphous blobs that you stick in your ear, you hook it up to the app, purple light heats it up, purple LEDs inside the earbuds heat up the amorphous uh, plastic and forms it to the unique shape of your ear. I mean, this is revolutionary. It was fun. It was interesting. It was wacky. I liked looking at myself in the mirror while it was happening. And in 60 seconds, you get something that you used to have to go to some fancy place in Beverly Hills to get some fancy person with a strange smelling cologne to give you custom fit sound. This is out of the box with the app at home custom sound. I mean, we all rely on our devices, but we often neglect the hardware you're born with, which is your ear. Same as fingerprints, no two are exactly alike, and that's why your earbuds probably cause you some discomfort or even physical pain after a while. But the Ultimate Ears fits true wireless custom fit earbuds from Ultimate Ears are here to change just that. They are the most comfortable earbuds first and foremost, but secondly, they sound incredible. They have groundbreaking light form technology. They have industry-leading expertise trusted by pro musicians and hi-fi enthusiasts for over 25 years, engineered to provide a full warm sound with a tight, punchy low end, and you can set custom EQ presets through the app as well. Play and pause music and answer calls. That's one of the ways I love it. I love it because it stays in my ear and it stays sounding great as I'm exercising. But when I'm making a phone call and I have to be on the phone for an hour, these are the only earbuds I use because they are so comfortable and they don't give you that why Why did I have a piece of hard plastic in my ear for two hours feeling. Use the free app to set custom actions as well, like voice assistant, volume adjustment, and more. If you try Fits and don't love them as much as I do, no worries. Ultimate Ears offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. Plus, you'll get free shipping, free returns, and a one-year warranty. Use promo code WEIRD at UE.com slash FITS to get your pair of UE Fits for just $169 during their holiday sale. That's UE, like Ultimate Ears, UE.com slash FITS, and use promo code WEIRD to show your support of this show. Last but not least, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about better sex. Let's talk about Foria, which leads to better sex with or without a partner when you use their incredible products made for a company that I absolutely 
absolutely love. Better sex starts with Foria. People may not think they need the extra help in the bedroom, but if you're like us, pleasantly surprised by how much better and more pleasurable their sexual experiences can be. Imagine the best orgasm you've ever had. Now imagine it could be even better with products that were designed to naturally enhance sexual pleasure and give you access to bigger and better orgasms solo. Shout out to everybody, uh, you know, laying a bit low during, during quarantine or with a partner. Foria is using all natural and plant-based ingredients to intensify sexual pleasure and relieve discomfort. They have a serious cult following with tens of thousands of people who have had their sex lives transformed through using their products. A real testimonial. People talk about seeing color, hearing color. That's how big the orgasms are. They make products that will transform your pleasure, your sexual pleasure, especially if you have a vagina or if you love someone that has a vagina. Their products are made to help women and people with vulvas fully experience their sexual pleasure from heightened orgasms to more sexual comfort. That's the thing that a lot of people aren't talking about, but sexual discomfort is very, very common, and Foria is here to help. Their bestseller is the Awaken Arousal Oil. It's the ultimate pleasure pregame. It's a juicy warm-up that helps you get really, really turned on, increasing your pleasure and deepening your orgasms, again, alone or with somebody else. Awaken uses CBD and warming, sensation-inducing organic botanicals that enhance arousal, sensitivity. Sensitivity, come on, you want more? To feel it more. Pleasure, access to orgasm, and help with discomfort. Best of all, Awaken just turns you on. Used together, Foria's Awaken Arousal Oil and Sex Oil are the perfect combo for peak pleasure. So yes, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more, deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it and as often as you can and start with a bottle of Foria. They are offering a special deal for weirdos. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash weird or use code weird at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash weird for 20% off your first order. And I recommend their Awaken Arousal Oil and Sex Oil, that combo together. Trust me, you'll thank me later. And you'll show your support of this show. All right, guys, let's get into Simon Pegg. I'm super excited. Uh, One little note before we do. Obviously, it was super sad that we lost uh, a, a wonderful man and a wonderful comedian and a wonderful actor and performer, Louis Anderson, who, I'm not just saying this, gave one of the best episodes of this podcast. Uh, he came to the house. I, I remember Val was there for part of it. We were sitting on the couch, and he is just the most, or he was the most open hearted, beautiful man. Uh, and I really, really was honored to have met him and had that chat with him. So to just do a little uh, memorial uh, to show some some love and some some respect and some appreciation, uh, we want to play a little clip from that chat. I, I had Katie find this one moment that I remembered almost verbatim from when we talked, just giving some advice for life uh, that is so well heard. We just want to play it here. Uh, love to Louis's family. Love to you, Louis. Uh, let's check that out, and then we'll get to Simon Pegg. Anyway, that's um, really so it, rem- I, it I, reminds me of creativity. You can't look right at it; it runs away. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. A, a but I mean, I think that you know, like, let's be honest. Like, I don't know. 
uh, about that existing, but I feel like it does. Mm. But I know this is existing. Mm -hmm. And I will tell people, make the best of this and stop (coughs) all your bullshit (laughs) as fast as you can. Mm. Because the if you don't, you are robbing yourself of life. And I only learned it from loss of other people. Mm. When, when I just lost so many um, I just lost many people that I wished I would have enjoyed that more. Mm-hmm. And I think people, they wait too long. I don't think you plan on waiting too long. I think you just do it because I think you think it's endless time, but it's finite. And I don't think we understand finite except for that very moment when we lose someone who's who's spiritually connected to us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, stop all your bullshit. <laughs> you know, stop all your bullshit with your parents. Stop all your bullshit with your brothers and sisters. Stop all your bullshit with yourself. Stop all your bullshit with the people you love. Stop it. I mean, again, I say it, it's impossible to live it, but you can try. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's lovely. It's beautiful. And well heard. I needed to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I need to say it. Mm-hmm. Because what else? I mean... You know, if you have a certain amount of success in what you love to do, you get to glimpse everything from a little different angle. Mm-hmm. But you still have to be very careful not to bring that all that stuff with you. Hmm. You're having an opportunity to see things from a, diff- a different perspective. And you should not be bringing all that shit with you. Because hmm. it really is shit. It's just like stuff in your car or when you overpack and you go, well, I need all this stuff. <laughs> you absolutely, I could drive my car off a cliff and never need one thing that's in it. Not one thing that's in that. Not one thing that's in the storage compartment. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a storage Not one thing in the house. Mm-hmm. Except the other human beings, the dog and the cat. <laughs> Am I right? You're absolutely And maybe the George Foreman grill. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, Val and I were just talking about how later, you know, oh, we'll get married later, we'll have kids later. Yeah. And then sometimes you wake up a little bit like, what are we talking about? Like we're masters yeah. of time. The Dalai Lama summarized Buddhism in one word and he said impermanence. 
And I think that's a very profound spiritual lesson that's hard to hear and hard to hold in your heart. But I think that's some of what you're talking about. You know, or why don't you just you two just say we are married? Yes, exactly. And why don't you just be married? I mean, you know, to be. That's right. You know, maybe that's enough for you guys. Maybe you don't know, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that's right. I don't, I mean, I agree with you. I think that you want, you need, you desire, but you already have it all. Mm. I love that. Such a beautiful man. He will be greatly, greatly missed. Uh, again, love to his friends and his family in this time. All right, everybody, let's enjoy this chat with the wonderful Simon Pegg. Hello. Simon. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Sounds like you're at gunpoint. Hello, how are you? Um, are I'm you there? Buddy. Hang on, let me just uh, stop my video. I couldn't get my computer wasn't working. I didn't mean to start right with a riff about how you sounded stiff. Can you give me more color in your hello, Simon? Ah! <laughs> An obnoxious turd I am. So nice to meet you. You too, Pete. How are you going? I'm having a, well, my baby woke us up at, uh, you're a father, yes? I am indeed, yes, of 12 years. And your daughter, your, you have a daughter? Yeah. 12. She is. Well, you're well past this point, but my daughter's three. And the reason I, I look kind of unkempt, I was going to get all sparkling for you, is my daughter, for <laughs> kind of no reason, wanted to wake up around five and was just going, I want to sleep. She was in the bed. She was like, I want to sleep on the couch. So I slept on the couch like a like an unhappy married person. And and there was no position that was good enough uh, for her. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty rocked. But... And I'm feeling this, good. This well, this is my first question for you. As a dad, did you figure out what I'm figuring out, which is you don't need as much sleep as you thought you did? <laughs> no, I kind of <laughs> realized no. that you did. No. And I, I resented the child because uh, no, not at all. Yeah, of course, you can survive. I mean, you can get by. Yeah. I mean, whether your body agrees with that. Your, your your consciousness might think you do, but you don't. But that's actually you know. right on. I your body. You might be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But after two days, your body goes, lay the fuck yeah. down. I hate exactly. you. lay down. Yeah. You can kind of feel. You can sort of be winging it and think, yeah, I'm all right. You know, I've had three hours sleep. I'm okay. Who needs sleep? But really, there's massive decay going on in your body at that point. Yes. And then when my wife or I get a full night's rest, we go. It turns out all of our existential dread, all of our issues was <laughs> sleep. Like, at least that's the first thing. If that breaks yeah. all of the weird, what is this? What is life? All that bad stuff creeps in. And then you sleep and you're like, life is a miracle. Look at the clouds. Like, everything's okay after some good that's sleep. That's the great irony about parenting is that you, you, you go through this, you get into the trenches of sleeplessness and then you... You know, you, you, you manage to wrangle a break. You, you get to go away. The grandparents come in. They take over for the weekend. You go away and all you do is sleep. It's not yes. like you, you can't go horseback riding or no. swimming. Or, it's just sleep. We 16. can't wait. That's it. <laughs> we have a little getaway planned. Just as you said, Val's mom is going to watch Leela. And we're going up. To, we just go to a hotel and we sleep. Yeah. That's all we do. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what, a, what a privilege and a gift. Um, 
Where am I? Well, I actually have one more parenting question, and then I'm going to ask you about your very cool office. Is that a Blade Runner? Is it Blade Runner, but over your No, it's not. You're the second person to say that today. It's actually Star Trek Beyond, but I think they probably... (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. Second today. It does look like the Blade Runner poster, and I can see now that it is not. It's the cascading heads of different... There's no no new ideas these days. They just... Oh, my God. You know. I used to go around the Blockbuster. This is how uh, I'm assuming you remember VHS stores as well. And I yep. would put the posters that were the same next to each other. Oh, that's I, good. I was like offended. I, I was like, is no one else seeing that this one copied this one and this? And I yep. would just go around. I don't know what my problem was. It's ever since the death of like the Drew Struzan kind of style of poster, you know, the painted poster. Yes. When it all became photographs. Now when I go do a poster shoot, they literally just have a line of posters they'd like this poster to be like. Yeah. There's no there's no kind of uh, uh, sort of pretense that we're going for something original. I can pl- that's been my experience too. I was like we want it to be a mix of this and this and I was like yeah. strange. Like and I I actually think it's an effective poster but remember Cedar Rapids is Ed Helms kind of smiling with a blue and yeah. that's 40-year-old virgin. I'm not this isn't shots fired. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying <laughs> It's the same thing as the iconic Steve Carell in front of the colored background. Yeah, yeah. And then when I worked with Judd, he was like, yeah, we got that uh, from like a Norwegian Mentos campaign or something. So (laughs) it's like everything's borrowing. And at some point you just surrender and you go like, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, you just give up. (laughs) I like surrender. (laughs) Your give up sounds sad. But yes, that looks a little bit like Blade Runner. My other parenting question was, did you find when you had a baby, especially being in show business, Mm. this is a very leading question. You'll just have to forgive me. But I I found, I'll put it on me. I found that like my perspective really shifted and like I took it less seriously in a really beautiful way. And I, I feel like there's a real risk. Your career is so beautiful. I'm such a huge fan. I should open with that. I think you're incredibly talented and wonderful. And you were in Blade Runner and you framed the poster. And I think that's really cool. Um, but like, especially at your level, I think there's a real risk of believing it too much. Um, anybody at my level too, you can believe your hype too much. Yeah. And, that, and that can be toxic. And we see what that does sometimes to folks. And I found the baby to be a really balancing, like who cares? Who cares about this or that? Absolutely. Was that similar for you? Oh, a hundred percent. It was like, there was a huge shift in my sort of um, in the way I saw reality. And, and it was a relief as well. It was someone came along and just said, you're not the center of the universe. And I was like, oh, thank God. And I kind of stepped aside and, you know, um, was I was happy to not be. And, I, and now, you know, I, I always put I take jobs on whether or not. I'll be away from home too long. And, you know, it's not, my career is not, it's completely secondary to, to my fa- my family and my home life. I love that. Did you know what I'm talking about? Again, I, I don't mean to just get you to try to agree with me, but <laughs> if you, if you believe the showbiz, if it burrows like Star Trek, Wrath of Khan, if it goes up your nose and in your, and you believe yeah. it, and then you live or die by whether or not people liked hot fuzz if whether or not people like star trek whether or not people like mission impossible if you're like hanging on the next comment you're dead you're dead absolutely 100 percent. and I've, I've always tried to to maintain a healthy disdain for myself <laughs> anyway, 
But, you know, so as not to be too uh, put. I mean, you, of course you are when, you know, you make something you're proud of and, and it just gets ragged on, as invariably things do. But, yes, I think the, the you know, siring a human is, it, it just beats everything and you realise that everything else is is... Everything that isn't a biological imperative in life, imperative in life, is is essentially just meaningless. Absolutely, you it's know. Nice, it's nice to hear that you're you're because I'm trying to do the same thing. It's like you have this time, and it sounds like you're not filling every nook and cranny. I, I just feel like that was our parents' generation. It's like if you can work, work. That's what you do, especially as a yeah. guy. It's like work, 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 and now. This guy who a wonderful man, he's like a member of our family who does all the work on our on our house. He was just like, oh, God, I love seeing you with the kids. And you can tell that, like, it's just it's might as well be like an alien like with the baby, like the dad. <laughs> and I was like, he's like, I'm so glad that shifted. And it does me yeah. well to hear that you're you're taking advantage of your schedule instead of going like, well, I have a month off. I should I should do an indie film or something like or whatever it might be. Because you miss stuff, you know, you miss, you're away for two weeks and, and suddenly that you come back and they're doing something new or they're into something new. Yes. And you, it's all very well sort of, you know, earning the money and you do have to earn the money in order to maintain, you know, whatever. But at the same time, don't do that for the sake of it because you'll miss stuff you'll never get back, you know. Yeah. You know, that made me, th- I have two things for you and I think you're going to like both of them. One is I really don't like the fallacy do you watch, watch Succession? Uh, yeah, yeah. And and also, if you watch any documentary about corporate America, you'll always get these kind of fat cats saying everything that everything they do is for their kids. <laughs> and I'm just like, fuck off, fuck off. No, it's <laughs> not. You love the rush. You're addicted to it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I am trying to get more honest with like, I, I'm shooting a show right now and you'll never hear me say I'm doing it for the family. Like I am. Partly, but also I love it. And I'm loading you into like what you love about it. I'd like to know because I'm, especially after quarantine, I'm shooting this TV show and being back with people and the juice of the rewrite and learning the lines. And and you're a real, I'm not just saying this, please believe me. You're a real master at figuring out a way to say a line. I, I know your <laughs> friend's with um, Martin Freeman, and I, I feel the same way about him. It's like, yeah. the line might be like, there he is. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but like, you go, how can I plinko this line? How can I How can I move? And it, I don't feel you doing it. I don't how feel you I going... Being away from everybody else. <laughs> some little quirk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to steal. Me. Yes, I need to make this about me. But the... <laughs> It turns out I really like the slow pitch softball of jokes. Like I like a joke. I like a moment and I like being with people and I'm not good at being with people when I'm not working. I just, I tend to hold off. And when I'm on set, I have, I have 50 friends. I know maybe that sounds strange, but I yeah. really do connect and engage with so many people. And that's what I love about it. And I'm wondering what you love about, because clearly it's not all just for the fam. What, what, what do you get out of being on set? Well, I always... Now, my daughter's of an age when she's, you know, she's nearly a teenager and stuff. The piece of advice I always sort of hammer home to her is find the thing that you love to do and then try and get paid for that, mm. you know. And that's that's what that's where I am. I'm sure it's where you are. My job is my hobby. So I love it because it's what I'm into. And I really love being on set and I love, you know, being creative and, and all the things which I would do anyway. 
um, I'm fortunate enough to do for my job. And so it's everything about it, you know, from even from just sitting in a room and writing sometimes can be a lot of fun, even though that's most light work. I I agree. And I'm happy to hear you say that there's so many people sit at the keyboard and bleed. Yes. But yeah. then there's sometimes the insane symphony of of a madman talking to himself and it's clicking would you talk a little bit about that doesn't it feel like you're almost channeling or or in a flow well i was i may i usually most of the time will write with someone so i'm writing with with edgar or nick or whoever and um and you have that back and forth and and i i feel like um i don't trust my own subjectivity enough to just write solo the whole time. I, I mean, I can do, but I'll always make sure that goes in to, you know, be noted or whatever, because um, it's hard to be objective about something you're this close to, you know, mm-hmm. but that, that kind of thing when you're, um, you're just riffing and you're, you're coming up with ideas or well, often there's, there's always that moment when you write a joke, say, which, you know, you're not going to write a better joke that day so you quit that day that's it that's the end it could be 10 o'clock in the morning and you come up with something and that that's it we're out of here (laughs) that's a great feeling you know can you think of a time that happened i think the day nick and i came up with a character called lorenzo zoyle we were so amazed with ourselves that we had to go shopping for records (laughs) for the rest of the day i love that I one of the best pieces of writing advice I've ever gotten is leave it hot, which is like stop when you keep you want to keep going, but stop because yeah. that want to keep going that will get you to start in the morning or, or the next day. I think that's so wonderful. Yeah, and I I also find with writing as well when you're on one when you're sort of like you you can't switch it off. It's not like a faucet that you can just sort of like okay that's it. You'll you'll suddenly come back to it. At, you know, t- t- two hours later and, and or just before you go to bed or um, mm-hmm. I remember being on a boat trip in Greece once and I was writing something and I had this idea whilst we were on the boat and I had to get them to pull up into a harbour so I could buy a small notepad from a Greek gift shop <laughs> so I could write the whole thing down because otherwise I'd forget it, you know. But that's that's so much what you just said. I, I think we're both very fortunate because I don't know to get to that pitch, to that fervor, uh, that mm. passion or that compulsion, but it's a helpful compulsion. It's a useful, it's a, it's a healthy and useful compulsion. Yeah. Um, things that wake you up. If I'm working on something, I'm the same way about standup. When, when I was starting standup out, if I had an idea, I was like phone books. It's not a book of phones. I just made that up, but I'm just like, I, I would, <laughs> I would write it down. Right. And, no, you should write that. Down. <laughs> I mean, it's not a book of phones. How about phone number book? It's <laughs> one more word. This shit writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> there is an AI, by the way, called Pseudo Writer that someone just showed me. There's an AI that you can write like a couple sam- sample sentences and yeah. continue for you. And oh when I God. say it's eerie, it's I think people are actually going to use it as a as a creative tool. Yeah. Because it's just, it's not just like, it's not like Siri. It's not like guessing randomly. It's like analyzing how you write. It's researching words you use and then using similar words. It's very weird. It's pseudo. You know what? That would be good for, you know, like, you know, you know, blank page tyranny when you're just staring at it. If you could get this thing to write your first draft and then, because the fun bit is always shaping it after that first initial, you know, yes, yes. 
that this would, would it would get you going. It absolutely <laughs> would. And it'll do dialogue. If you're writing dialogue, it'll it'll give you like lines. And I was shocked that they're kind of in the ballpark of what you might. <laughs> what if you got to the end of it, you read it and you were like, I don't have any notes. That's it. <laughs> is it still mine? <laughs> this is fine. You, talking about you on the boat in Greece, that to me is one of the reasons I'm a happy person is that you can find places. You can find things that will wake you up. And again, it's, it's like the baby. The baby wakes me up. The best thing in my life. And then yeah. good good work will get you out of bed. And what I was saying about phone books is now if I have a thought like that, I'll just go, I'll get it the next time. I know that sounds crazy, but if it's good enough, it'll bug me again. I'm sure you're the right. same way. If you have a film idea, you go, oh, maybe this, this, this. Eh. If it really wants you, it's, yeah, it's going to get you. It'll, <laughs> it'll try. Go, it'll try again. <laughs> I wanted, this is the other, uh, I wanted to ask you about the inner critic. And I have that too. Mm. And I, I'm a friendly guy and I love talking shit and making fun and poking fun. at. It's like a love language for me. It's, I, I get, we, we call it breaking balls. Taking the piss, I believe is a British. Yeah. <laughs> Do you say breaking balls? No, breaking balls is definitely an American uh, phrase. Yeah. Okay. Well, taking the pit, winding up. Winding up. What am I doing? Trying yeah, to... winding, up is, winding up is pretty. Uh, is pretty British, I think. It can be loving, though, right? I mean, yeah. it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't... affection. Yeah, I and it and it stems because that's sort of how I treat myself. And it, I, I have a friend of a friend who recently told us that they have no inner critic. <laughs> yeah. oh and and that when they write something, they're trying to write something. They just write, and I was like. I don't understand what's going on. I don't trust it. I, I already don't like it. All these, all these yeah. feelings. And I'd love to hear more about, do you love your inner critic? I have to imagine that you've made peace with it and you've gone, you, you help me not make an ass of myself. I rely on my inner critic. You know, it's a vital part of my process because like that, that person is clearly a narcissist because <laughs> <laughs> it's dangerous to not have an inner critic, surely. Yes. You know, yes. and I, I, I like to kind of, I mean, it's sometimes you, you know, when you watch something, you watch something back and you, you feel yourself doubting your performance or whatever, or seeing the little ticks and, and gestures that you use and kind of rumbling yourself, you know, you're kind of busting yourself a bit. Oh, I can see what I'm doing there, you cheat. Yes. But uh, generally speaking, it's important, you know, you have to have an inner critic, otherwise you'll never want to improve. Well, it's a bell curve, I think. Too little, not good. Too much, not good. Yeah. It's interesting. You've done enough acting. Something, sorry to keep mentioning Jed, he must be on my mind this morning, but Jed Apatow, when I worked with him, he was like, actors don't get to act. He's like, they take years off between jobs. Yeah. And you work consistently. And one of the risks of that, I would think, is throwing it into some sort of autopilot. Like you're doing Simon Pegg. By the way, I'm not saying I see that. I'm saying you just said you catch yourself doing, oh, doing your yeah, thing. I do. And I feel, you know, I try not to be me sometimes or try not to do the things that I, I fall back on to make myself appear more realistic or whatever or, or emotional, whatever, whatever tricks that I, I, I possess as an actor. I try and expand that repertoire as much as I can so I don't see myself doing the same thing over and over again. And it is, um, you know, it's important. It's funny at the moment because I feel like 
because I'm on I'm in I'm on Mission Impossible at the moment, but I'm sort of in between seven and eight. And it's been such a protracted process because of COVID and because of the various sort of factors. Um, I don't feel like I've acted for ages. Mm. And I, I really wanted I did I actually did some in the summer. I did a show for Peacock in the summer and I really enjoyed that. But you know, as Benji, I tend to just tell Tom Cruise where to go. That's kind of my job. <laughs> go left, go right. You know, it's very your other left kind of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except you don't. You never say that. That's in the Matrix. Wait, that's I, actually in the Matrix. The joke, your other that, left. That's right. But there was a screen, a screen lock gag in Fallout when I, I told oh, him to go. The no, way. I know. I I think you pulled it off quite well. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> it was an ad lib. I was pleased. But um, but yeah, it's it's um. It's important, I think, to just keep yourself interesting to the audience because otherwise they'll just be like, "Oh, it's him doing the same shtick." And of course, the the way that the thing they, the way that things work is that you tend to get kind of um, shepherded into that shtick by casting directors who see you do one thing and think, "Oh, he does that. He's the guy that does that." You know. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, and so I think you have to be really careful with your choices so to stay kind of um, I don't know interesting. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Is it's not just you that uh, is threatened to go into the honeypot of what you've done in the past. I have to imagine certain directors might just go like, and Simon will do what Simon does. We want him to do yeah. this. It, that doesn't, it, I, what, the name of the director, is it Chris Mick? Chris Quarry. Yes. Who directed my favorite Mission Impossible. So you guys are doing seven and eight back to back. I didn't know that. Pretty much. Yeah. We start eight in sort of uh, spring next year. He's the one that said that was Blade Runner earlier on no shit yeah great That's, minds think alike. oh my god i'd love to have something in common with him i did late <laughs> night i'm gonna forget her name with the very beautiful woman who's in uh the the, the last i should rebecca. have up her name, rebecca, her name rebecca? Mm. yeah 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 okay i'm she's incredible i mean um and i did i did uh See, I'm blanking on James Corden's name. It's not personal, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> I did James Corden, and Chris was there. And I was this close to saying to him what I'm going to say to you, because I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I feel like Mission Impossible. I, I, I was thinking, no no offense to the Fast and Furious movies, but I, I've during the past month, even before I knew you were coming on, I've been re-watching for the millionth time every Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. Now, here's the other thing, though, man, is... I don't watch Fast and the Furious movies. No offense. I, I don't just watch action movies. And I don't just watch Tom Cruise movies. It's not, it's not one thing. If there's something about, and I didn't grow up with it. I don't have like a nostalgic, oh, this is like the TV show or any of that. Mm -hmm. And my theory is, I really, and I've, I know there's, in one of the movies, they say that Ethan Hunt is a, a metaphor for destiny. So I, I don't know if you remember that. He goes, he's destiny. Yeah, Alec Baldwin says it. He's great. That's right. Yeah, I think he's a metaphor for life. And I'd really like to hear your thought on this, is that life is an, uh, an impossible mission. Mm -hmm. It's impossible that the force of life, I don't just mean human, humanity. I mean, the same life that was in dinosaurs got wiped out, but it found a way. Do you know after yeah. the asteroid hit the earth, the oceans were so toxic that almost yeah. everything died, but it was that toxicity that made the amoebas uh, evolve into things that would crawl out. This is yeah. life. This is this is blowing up in a helicopter, rolling off, and keep going. Why do we suspend our disbelief? He fall in uh, in uh, the last one, Fallout. 
Yeah. You know, he falls off a motorcycle. He's not even wearing a helmet. He gets up, he limps for three strides of his run and then runs at full speed. Why don't we call bullshit? And I think it's because we know unconsciously he is life. Life, life keeps going. It doesn't matter. It's it's life in the Darwinian sense. It's survival. Do you know what I mean? It's this, it's the persistence of life. I think you're right. And the other thing about that is the reason that we don't call bullshit is because he does it. You see him do it. <laughs> that too. That it's too. not in the Fast and Furious movies, which are I, I, similarly. I, I'm not uh, someone who who watches those films, but I've seen some of the extraordinary sort of action, but a lot of it is very kind of, you know, it's a lot of VFX and a lot of um, uh, augmentation, let's say. But with Tom, and I think this is something that he kind of figured out around about the fourth one. And he's always done this with ever since the first one, but it really came home when uh, he did the stunt hanging off the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. Mm-hmm. In this era of CG, when you can make anything happen, anything, any any kind of you know person to person combat, it's all possible to to even see look like the person's doing it, but it's not. You know, it's not. It's right. a face replacement. If the actor does it, it's not just the tension of seeing Ethan Hunt, you know, in peril. It's seeing Tom Cruise in peril. You're seeing him hanging off an airplane for real. He did that, right? And it the frisson of tension for the audience, which is absent from films which rely heavily on artificiality, you know. Completely and he just agree. does. That is, is there tension for, I was, I, Simon, I was really going, I told myself, I was like, no Tom Cruise questions, because I have famous friends and people ask me about them and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're clearly, when, when it's T. Cruise, it is like a whole ecosystem and you, it seems like you've just gone like, look, he seems to want a cruise anecdote. I'm going to do it. <laughs> but we're going to, I can, okay. I completely agree. Tim Burton said that he was like in big fish, which is a movie I really like. They put a, an old car in a tree and the studio was saying, just CGI it. You can it's yeah. easy to CGI a car in a tree. Yeah. And he was like, even if you don't know, you know, he's like, yeah. you know, like you can yeah. feel it. And I, I'm completely with you. And the shot that I'm talking about when he's rolling off the bike, it's it's clearly him, and he gets up and he runs. Yeah, he does. I love that you that you that you get with the uh, the life, the evolution, sort of like you, whatever force is spawning the universe, just just life, like you're saying. We don't have to spiritualize. Yeah. It. it's just like there's a life. Here's what we can all agree on. I'm I'm hinting at the fact that I, I saw that you were an atheist, but on your Wikipedia, either that's right or wrong. Who cares? (laughs) It's absolutely right. Here's what we can agree on. Something wants to be, (laughs) right? Like this seems to have a yearning. That is the common ground that everyone can come to the table on. Life is churning forward. Like it it has a desire to be. Yeah. Uh, And that's what those movies are about. And a terminal um, desire as well. It's like life at the expense of other life. It's life, you know, it's it's survival of the fittest. It's the, you know, the kind of the constant refining, the constant moving forward. Yeah, okay. absolutely. There is a there is a an energy there, you know, whether it's a it's a, it's not a sentience, I don't think, but it's certainly a a force, you know. Yes, that's exactly and, and life feeds on death, it no exceptions. 
yeah, yeah. That's a Joseph Campbell thing. It's like life is always on the knife's edge of death. It's always itself on the knife's edge of death. And it feeds on life. Like I don't eat meat, but I eat living things. <laughs> and as I've said a million times, a tomato would prefer to be. Like, I don't know if it, I'm not saying it consciously would prefer to be, but it was doing its thing and it didn't necessarily want to like fertilize my poop or be fertilized by me <laughs> like it wanted to be. There's also, there's also that school of thought that, you know, if we are all just stardust and, and molecules, then what, why not? Why not does that? Why not does that's a really badly constructed sentence. Why doesn't that tomato? What's wrong with that tomato becoming part of you? Because you're eventually going to become part of the earth, and you know we're all part of the same system. There's this odd. I think with humans, our big problem is that we somehow think we are separate from everything else, from other animals, from plants, from the world. You know, we have this sort of rarefied position as being the absolute center of the universe as a species, and we're not. You know that that. Simon, first of all, that is what mysticism, that's, that's what Buddha and all those folks are talking about is like, get over yourself, get over yourself. Like <laughs> I was just listening to um, Swami Satchitananda is his name. And he was saying, all of your anxiety is because you're selfish. He's like, you're alive and you want to stay alive. You have yeah. stuff and you want to keep the stuff. You have relationships and you want to keep the relationships. And he's like, when you wake up, as you just said, to the interconnectedness, literal interconnectedness of all things. Also, Neil deGrasse Tyson was like, I'm not afraid to die. He's like, when I die, I feasted on the fauna of this earth for 60, 70, 80 years. And now I will be the fauna of the earth for other things to feast on. And I was yeah. like, look, that's not a spiritual person either, but that is a profoundly mystical meaning an experiential sort of knowing like a beyond yes. your mind and experiential knowing what, what do you got this got deep quick I, well look they told me you don't have a lot of time and this is the deep no, no, I've, podcast I've, I've got all time but i wasn't i didn't uh, do a time check or anything oh no 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 i was saying i'm not fucking around we're going deep because i don't <laughs> want to take all day and uh that's the sort of show it is but but so many of my friends that aren't religious end up being far more in touch with reality capital r reality yeah and then somebody who might take the easy answer of i believe this religion and i don't think about it or i don't participate with it well wasn't it i i, I seem to remember we used a quote in paul i think it was about carl, i think it was carl sagan said there's you know there are more miracles in the universe than can ever be imagined in a book you know mm. and that's the weird thing about about reality the kind of the focus of a lot of of um, sort of faith systems is incredibly small. There, these sort of, the, the, the so-called miracles are really tiny, sort of unimpressive things. When there are greater miracles going on, uh, do you know what I found out the other day, which is which I think is amazing, is that all gold, every single scrap of gold on this planet, in every ring, in every you know uh, whatever piece of jewelry, was formed inside a supernova. All what? That's how gold is made. It only it only comes from supernovas. Whoa! You know, right, <laughs> buddy? To me, that look. I'm not always in that place. I happen to be a little bit this morning. Your daughter, my daughter, consciousness, which is the big mystery that we all agree on, is insane. Yeah. I, to to me. Take God out of it. Take take the metaphors out of it, the symbols out of it. Just say like 
I find it so funny that consciousness is, I don't want to say it's the proof. It's the mystery. You are the mystery. Like the mystery is looking out your eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like the thing, the biggest question of all time that you are and know that you are and just fuck it that you are, that anything is, wouldn't be closer to you. And whether you approach it scientifically or mystically or, or whatever, however you get there, I don't care. But like the fact that so many people are just going around eating sandwiches is is staggering to me. I'm just well, like, I, I feel that might be. That the, the, I have a suspicion that human beings might be a, an aberration, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean oh we're terrible because we do bad things. But I think it's possible that by some. There's, there's one theory that the wobble in the, Earth's atmos- in the Earth's axis, there's a slight wobble. So the Earth doesn't spin like um, perfectly. It spins with a slight wobble. And that wobble created... A, it's very a weather- subconscious about that, Simon. If you could not say <laughs> the Earth is a little... feels weird when people point out its wobble. So we'll edit that out. But keep going. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 this this um, discrepancy, what's the word? This sort of uh, fault in the, in the rotation of the Earth caused a, a weather pattern in the Rift Valley in Africa where a certain species of ape were and um, it created um, bigger brain areas. You know, they, they, they had bigger skulls, basically. And this brain, um, the, 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 the first humans appeared in this, this part of the world, apparently. And I also read recently that um, consciousness might have, or self-awareness might have uh, evolved because of a psilocybin, you know, the um magic mushrooms stone ape these apes were eating these mushrooms and it connected these parts of the brain and suddenly by sheer accident we appear and we're terribly hobbled by our self-awareness it makes us incredibly neurotic and you know um we don't really work in harmony with everything we're kind of a little bit of a an odd one out when it comes to the natural chain of things and i think that might be part of why we think we're different. Because when people ask me, oh, is, do you think there's life on other planets? I, Absolutely. But there's probably planets that are just non-conscious animals, all working. The whole thing is a fucking, works like a dream. Do you know what I mean? There's no, <laughs> no change. There's yes. no, it's just beautiful. It's an ecosystem in absolute perfection. Yes. But we came along and we're, just, we're, we're a bit of a problem. I always think of that, you know, the thing in the Matrix, the, 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 the um, yeah. virus. virus. Yeah. I don't know if it's, it's a bit kind of, um, it's very self-deprecatory as, as a theory, but I, I feel like maybe there isn't intelligent life in the rest of the universe. Maybe the chance of us appearing was so fucking slim because it took all these little details that eventually led to these apes becoming self-aware and you know growing a consciousness you know millions and eating mushrooms there are millions and millions and billions of planets filled with 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 you know flora and fauna but maybe we're the only you know talking dickheads in the in the universe (laughs) okay two things one there's a theory that psilocybin came from a meteorite which i think is all mushrooms they say because mushrooms are unlike any other I guess I can say fauna again on the planet. They're, they're not yeah. in DNA. They don't match anything else. So they're like, these probably came from space, maybe on right. a meteorite. And I'm like, that's fucking incredible. Number one. Oh no, <laughs> I'm blanking on number two. Oh, I think it all goes back to separation. Right. It's, a, it's a burden. 
so it's interesting. I'm seeing your Shaun of the Dead shirt behind you. It's such a great film. It, it, it was one of those <laughs> movies that I was like, oh, like I saw you as a guy like me. I was like, oh, we can do this. Uh, like, it's not just Tom Cruise. When I see Tom Cruise, I'm like, eh, get over it. Uh, but yeah. I see you and I hope you think this is beautiful. I go, oh, it can be people like me too. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the whole point like, of them. Yes, there we yeah. go. Yeah. So you you said neuroses, and it's interesting. Neuroses led to bridges and you know space shuttles and all these things. Led from some sort of discomfort, probably a fundamental discomfort with being yeah. conscious, being alive, knowing that you're going to die, and it also leads to horrible things, war, and all what all fill in the blank there. But it all goes back to that perfect animal planet that you hypothesized. Nobody has an ego there. Everybody, like, it just is. They're, they're alive to the reality that they are part of a system. Too yeah. many coyotes, the coyotes get eaten by these things. Not enough coyotes, more coyotes survive <laughs> because there's and all that. And the balance is real. We're the only ones thinking and talking about that, which leads to the overinflated ego. Sort of goes back to me saying when we believe show business too much, we become vampires. We become... Yeah. We just suck life out of things and we don't give back. Or we become yeah. uh, dragons. Um, back to Martin Freeman, the hobbit, the dragon with the gold he can't spend and usually a virgin he can't have sex with. That yeah. hoarding mentality is is uniquely human. Very. This is Alan Watts. You can't live in two houses. You can't eat two meals. I've known very, very rich people that will order uh, two or three meals. <laughs> like, just because <laughs> you can see the, like, I wish I could eat two meals because you have, <laughs> you know what I mean? But you can't. That's it. That's a unique human thing. No bear is like, I have a cave in uh, this area. I have a cave. <laughs> I summer in the Southern part. Like, I mean, maybe they do because they have to migrate, but you see what I'm saying. <laughs> They don't migrate in their sort of winter home and their summer home. It's just, I mean, it is, but they didn't buy it. Right, they, they didn't buy it. They don't, right, they don't. right. They're yeah. not shocked when some other bear is sleeping in their cave and they're like, well, exactly. I did. <laughs> I love it. And somehow this is all what Mission Impossible is about. What? Why were you talking to Chris Mc, Mc, McCondry, Mc, McQuarrie? McQuarrie. It's so easy. It's a word. I was just catching up and he was showing me some footage from um, some of the stuff. We shot a little bit of and more crazy. I mean, I can't talk about it, obviously, but it, uh, j just in, in, in episode seven, uh, there's a stunt where Tom jumps off a cliff on a motorbike and um, and then deploys a parachute. And that's been, you know, people have seen a little bit of that. But there's there's another thing happening in eight, which is even more um that shit crazy and i i hesitate to use that around tom because people always sort of say oh he's crazy he's not he's incredibly what he does is he, he he trains and trains and trains and he becomes the best person in the world at the thing he has to do and then he'll do it in front of the camera you know right. he's not he's not um reckless in any way um yeah. so i was looking at that and i looked at a cup for a possible trailer and we're just catching up it's his wife heather's birthday today so we we're oh, saying wow. You know, that, that brings up something else, Mission Impossibly, that I love. When, again, I'm, I'm doing this TV show right now, and there's something about the, everything clicks. Uh, I sometimes say that show business can be a control freak's nightmare. I don't, uh, not a nightmare, uh, paradise. I don't yeah. consider myself a control freak, but I do enjoy the, there's somebody for every department. 
you know, if your shirt is sweaty, they bring you another shirt. Uh, not, not me. They bring whoever is sweaty. Meaning <laughs> I said that not to say that I don't sweat. I do. But it's not about, oh, look, everybody's serving me. It's like everything is just sort of like your perfect animal planet. There's like yes. a system. It's an ecosystem. Yeah. And everybody's pointed to the same thing. Like mm. we like when when um, T. Cruz, I remember there, it made some headlines that he got mad that people weren't wearing masks. But I read it and he was like, hey, he was trying to remind everybody like this is a lot of this is 300, 400 people's life right now. Oh, yeah. 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 And he's a producer as well. It's not I, I think the, the way that the, the press were trying to spin that was like, oh, listen to Tom having a hissy fit on set. But he's he's the producer and it's a, a multi-million dollar movie and it has to keep going because so he actually came out pretty well from that you know um well i read it and i was like this seems com- <laughs> i'm not just buttering tom cruise's bread i was like you need to remember we're all doing this it's not just you and what's yeah. more selfish than not wearing your mask you're forgetting the whole that's the whole thing of it is you're forgetting that you belong to a system you forgot that your postmate is a person your amazon person is a person your uber driver is a person and now yeah. the ger- germs are reminding us that we're all sort of in this together it seems like i agree like, go ahead no i i think that and i think that's something that as an actor particularly you have to always be very aware of because the way that you're treated as an actor as you know when you're you know um on set is everybody treats you with kid gloves because you're the cosmetic face of the product. So you must be in the right place at the right time. You must be happy and productive, whatever it takes to keep you in that nice state of mind, everybody will do. If you start believing that because that's because you're somehow better than everybody else, yeah. then you turn into an asshole. That's when, that's when, and less intelligent people that's will become assholes because they can't fucking rationalize the fact that no, you're being treated like this because uh, for economic reasons, not because you're great. It's mm-hmm. because if you don't show up, we're fucked. Mm-hmm. So if you're, um, if you're an actor who isn't very clever and you believe that, then you will become a dickhead. That's right. And um, I've met a few, you know, and, and it's always like, it's always disappointing. Yeah. What, what is Benedict Cumberbatch like? Just He's a sweet. That was that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. But I, I remember just, him once. I remember I him once. A random name. He won't, he won't mind me telling this story. Um, on Star Trek Beyond, um, we were doing, you know, because he was playing this sort of, uh, you know, he was playing Khan, yes. um, this kind of Star Trek classic Star Trek villain, and he had to be totally buff. And anyway, he hadn't had carbs for about three days, and he was in such a bad mood. And I think he stopped like he, he was he, he just like snapped at someone or something and then actually said, look, I'm, I'm ever so sorry. I haven't had any carbs in three days, but it was such a kind of sweet. It was a sweet save that he did because we were just about to go. Ah, really? You're going to be that guy? <laughs> and everybody understands. It's like yeah, saying every- you haven't had a cigarette in three days. It's, okay. <laughs> it's, we, we all we all absolutely get it. Yeah, I one of the things. I'm going to, again, I'm going to put this to you. This is the kind of show it is. I'll put something to you. (laughs) Not a question, but is there anything worse than being interviewed, Simon? It's a nightmare. So (laughs) tell me, you got in really good shape. What did you, uh, um, here's what I'm going to put to you. Go on. Working on a set and like my parents are in town and I love my parents and they are an unsolvable problem. They are an unsolvable problem. <laughs> I would say that to their face. I do say that to their face. 
I just have my mom sort of telling me how miserable she is with my dad. And my dad is complaining about the food in a restaurant, whatever it is. And there's something about going home and watching the MI6 crew solve problems. Do you know what I'm saying? Like impossible, life, problems. impossible problems. And they do it. They, and you know what I mean? It's the same satisfaction. You have life. I say the same thing about video games. When you play a video game, it's so pleasantly designed. If you go down a hallway, there's something down the hallway. In yeah. life, sometimes you just go down a hallway and there's nothing there but a potted plant on a small table. Like there was yeah. no there was no point. Why was this hallway here? I'm looking for the bathroom. There's just a plant. And it's the same thing with, with Mission Impossible is it like brings you into a synergistic sort of place where where the team works and and even when things go badly. What I'm saying is that when my mom is like, uh, I'm only happy when I'm with you, right? Which is something that she says constantly. Wow. I'm like, that's an impossible mission. There's nothing that's, I can do. Hey, what that's not, wait a minute. That's really mean. <laughs> oh my God. It is, it's like, that what it a burden to put on somebody. Mother, I, I mean, all mothers, they're guilt trip experts. Yes. Do you have a similar mom? My mom's great, but she, she, I, I, yeah, no, I do. But she, she, she is good at sort of like making you feel a certain way. You know, she knows what buttons to press. But go, going, going back to what you said about, you know, the mission thing, I think it's, it's, it's all about catharsis, you know, and I think that's really important in um, particularly in big pure entertainment cinema is that you go and you get your catharsis and, you know, you see a mission, you see an impossible mission completed, or you see a problem solved. And these days, I feel like there's been this kind of odd, and I don't know, I, I'm sure if I was back in my university film student brain, I could probably write an essay about it. But there's there's a tendency now to, to obfuscate the, the bad guy as being flawed. And so you, you, you can't just have a bad guy. He has to have a reason why he's bad. And I think it's you probably got... sort of. Oh, sorry. No, go on. You were sort of pre Thanos, like in um, I believe it's in Rogue Nation. The bad guy launches the oh, yeah. missiles, and he's like, "Here's to world peace." It's the and, same and thing. It's the same thing in Fallout. Everybody's like trying, and you yeah. know what's fucking crazy is it is again. It's very mystical and very true. It's like these things have a way of balancing out. You need to have these disasters that bring people together. And so you, you, you've done that. Please keep going. Don't let me take you off your chair. No, my, my, my kind of point is you should never pity the villain in pure entertainment because it, it complicates your catharsis. You know, you don't want to feel, Thanos was a great example. You never, ever felt sorry for him at any point. Even when he was all washed up on the, in, at the, in Endgame on the planet and he was a bit beaten up, you, you still hated him. Yeah. And, but now there's this kind of this thing of like, this, there's so much gray in, in the world, obviously. We've started to wake up to the fact that, you know, we're no, and nobody is, is innocent of, of, uh, of, of committing crimes, you know, politically or what have you. We're all very guilty. There's no black and white in the world. It's all shades of gray. But, you know, one of the reasons why Star Wars was such a massive success was because just after America had gone through that, terrible awakening during Vietnam of not knowing who was the bad guy when they're hearing about GIs killing families in villages and mm. wait, I thought we were the good guys and they were the bad guys, but it turns out suddenly along comes 
there's all these stormtroopers and Darth Vader, and then there's these young white Americans, and that's how it is. Yeah. And everyone just goes, yes, please, 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 this is what I want, you know? Yes. And I think we're getting to a point now in, in cinema where they've started to kind of, I don't know, I want to see bad, bad guys. I don't want to see bad guys I feel sorry for. I don't know where that came from. Are you crazy? I loved it. And I think you're right on. And that's sort of the time that we're living in. And what I find very profound about that is there could be me and there could be someone living an incredibly different life, completely different, politically, spiritually, whatever you want to say. They are my opposite. And we go and watch, uh, what was I just watching? doesn't matter. It might have been Mission Impossible. When I watch it, I project something on the villain. They might project someone completely different on the villain. Yeah. Use a bad example. I might be projecting and say, that's like Donald Trump. They might be going, that's like Crooked Hillary. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're just feeling... And isn't it weird that we all go into these things, but we're having completely different experiences, but we're also having very similar experiences, just with different ingredients. We're also having a communal experience, which I think is, is vital to society is to, and, and one of the things that COVID has robbed us of as well is communal experience. Mm-hmm. It's really important that we, we all sit in a room together. You could put a whole bunch of people and half of them could be the January 6th insurrectionists and half of them could be, yeah. you know, full on left wing kind of, you know, revolutionaries and all watch toy story too. And all love it at the same time. <laughs> laugh, Share that experience and, and find community in that if you can't politically. And unfortunately, you know, I, I listened to an interesting TED talk the other day. I can't remember who did it, which is useless, but it was all about how we are, all our tribes are disbanding. The more insular we become, the more singular we become in terms of the way that we um, consume entertainment. And, you know, obviously the phone is a classic example of that. That's the ultimate kind of um, vanishing point. Yeah, yeah. The more our tribes get disbanded, the less sort of, social we are the, the the more society breaks down in a way and it's kind of it was kind of uh worrying we need to to get back to those kind of those groups particularly when ca- a, a system like capitalism late capitalism particularly encourages entirely total selfishness selfism yes and the idea of socialism we know this is essentially just a society helping each other out is demonized to the point of being compared to like Nazism, which is just beyond fucking weird. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's what's worrying about that's that's what all the critical theorists in the 70s and 80s, like you know, Deleuze and Guattari and Foucault, all those guys were saying, Baudrillard, that that we're heading to a kind of an apocalypse because we're becoming more and more selfish as a species. And I think even in the last five years, that's become incredibly kind of apparent. I think you're absolutely right. And I had the image in my mind when you curl down into your phone, are you, is there a more shut off position that you could yeah. be? I, yeah. It's, it's so it's like a clamshell. You just like, yes, you're closed. Like, we're yeah. having the same. I love when this happens is we're having the same conversation. It keeps coming up. It's the, it's the awakening to an interconnectedness and not just to the each other, but to the planet, not just to the planet, but the whole Solar, the whole fucking cosmos is like, yeah. and we're disobeying. It's like if you're, the cells in your body started becoming narcissists. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. I'm not going to be this guy's fucking nose. You're, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I, that's that's a fuck. You're a wake up sheeple. We're Simon Pegg's. Yeah. I can be an ear. I, I want to hear what's going on. I'm done smelling shit. 
That's not how it works. And all the great societies throughout history uh, tended to be very, and you know, I have my issues with tribalism, but they tended to have an identity. They tended yes. to know what they were pointed towards. And we're back to the, the, the comparison of the film set is there's a real, it's greater than the paycheck and it's greater than the show even is I like being with 150 people that are pointed towards the same thing. That, that yeah. is the pleasure. And I think what we need to do and what we're losing, I don't know. It's interesting, man. Can you have a society of interconnected people with the internet? I don't know if you can. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, so far, maybe it's just because the internet is relatively new. Even now, it's only, you know, 20 odd years or something that it's been kind of the, the norm. Mm. And it's obviously, you know, social media has created a a really interesting, worrying kind of situation i think in that you know it's like warhol's prediction about fame has become true mm -hmm. and then some you know it's like everyone has a kind of degree of celebrity in that however many followers they've got or but the power of it all and the 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 anon the anonymity of it it's you know the bile out there i think there's a lot of there's a lot of entitled people in the world who feel like they're owed a certain amount of something and that's probably again the promise of you know what capitalism promises which is you can be anything you can have anything you can earn as much money as you like and there are so many people in the world who don't have that mm. they feel annoyed at their reality and they feel disgruntled that's why people What's i think that's a conspiracy theory these days because conspiracy theorists are people who who don't want to accept reality they want to find another reason there can't be this surely my life can't be this. There must be some shadowy organization pulling the strings. That's what it is. And it's not, you know, and that's, okay. that's really, and social media does nothing but magnify that. That's very well put. And I, I do feel it's a fear response. It's like, I, I remember after 9-11 happened, I got really, really into conspiracy theories. And when I was, not in the way that people are now, I mean, in a way that you could only be in 2001. It <laughs> yeah. was like, it was still sort of like fringe and it wasn't like, I don't know, you'd find a YouTube video, not a yeah. rabbit hole of 700 YouTube videos and you'd watch yeah. it and you'd think, and I remembered it, it, I'd be on a plane and I would be like, I'm fine. The shadow government isn't going to do the same thing twice. You know what I mean? Like, it, I, and that's when I recognized that it was a, it was a fear response. And, yes. and I have family members that are like COVID deniers and I love them to death. I really do. Uh, I don't agree with them and I love them, but like, I can see there's like a fear. It can't be that there's an invisible virus that I can get from an asymptomatic person and die. Yeah. I can't, it's just unbearable to live with that level of uncertainty. So of course it must be like the most delicious vacation to go. Yeah, it's bullshit. Cut it, cut a hole in your mask and go to a protest and, and then not, yeah. and not get it and have it confirmed. I bet that yeah. feels fucking fantastic. Like for, for, for you. <laughs> it's, also, it's also this sort of, I think it's called proportional causality or something where things we as humans find it hard to accept that massive events can occur as the result of a tiny thing, like mm. Kennedy getting assassinated you know, by one man, it can't, that couldn't possibly happen. The leader of the free world couldn't possibly be right. assassinated by one. And of course, all these conspiracy theories and movies and everything, Reagan got assassinated, but because it didn't, he didn't succeed. There's no conspiracy theories around the guy that shot Reagan. Do you know that what I mean? That is brilliant. And I think it's, it's that kind of thing. 
no, surely one guy coming out of a wet market or a lab in Wuhan, wherever wherever COVID started, one person catching that couldn't possibly lead to this global fucking pandemic. But the fact is, yes, it can. And these things do happen. Mm. And 9-11 even, you know, surely a bun- 19 guys from the Middle East couldn't possibly topple you know, the center of capitalism in the West. Surely not. There must have been something. It must have been a, an inside job, this, that. Yeah. But no, it's just a little thing that happened. I say little. The, the cause is little. The effect right. is massive. Wow, that is heavy. I And brilliant. I'm going to ask you one nerd question that you made me think of because you were talking about the bile <laughs> on the internet. And I was like, oh, Simon's a nerd. I, you know, in the same way that I, I enjoy nerd culture. Yeah. And as a creator of stuff, I remember the issue of uh, George Lucas when he when he re-released Star Wars and he added the the VFX and all that. Yeah, and it, it brought into mind and it brought to the discussion an interesting topic, which is like, does the art belong to the auteur or does it belong to the fans? And and you mentioned Wrath of Khan redoing the Khan story. You know, you're never gonna. I actually really like that movie, but I'm also not. I, I think I had watched Wrath of Khan to prepare to watch that movie. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't, like, raised on it. It wasn't something that loved me when my mom wasn't home. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't have an emotional bond to it in the way that I do, like, The Simpsons or, or Full House or something. Like, yeah. That was, that's an emotional thing for me. But, like, uh, does the question is, you could take a Mission Impossible, Star Trek... At what, what part of the conversation is the fans? Like, what percentage are we considering and what percentage are we going, this belongs to us and this belongs to them? It's a really good question. And I think there, there's, I suppose there's two things going on there. That when, Once you release the thing, I think once it's been released, um, it's very difficult to then take it back in, change it, and put it back out again, particularly if you delete the original versions. And, and really, George Lucas was road-testing special effects for the prequels. You know, he basically took the old movies. Also, I know that he, you know, his his imagination was always way beyond the state of the art. So there are things that he wanted to do. And, you know, the special editions didn't add anything of any value to those movies. You know, I I didn't think when I was watching Star Wars as a seven-year-old, as I sat in the cinema with my mouth hanging open, I like this scene, but I wish there were more Jawas in the background and fucking dinosaurs and robots flying around. Then it would be good. I was just utterly in love straight away. And then he came along and as is his right, I guess, and, you know, it was a kind of event thing, but he was road testing for the prequels and and that's why he did it. And we, yes, we do get director's cuts and things like that. But I think the original thing that is released should never be taken away. You can't, you shouldn't be able to erase. The, I mean, Edgar and I will, will sit, you know, I think we went to a, um, a screening of, uh, I think it was just Sean and Hot Fuzz actually. And we were kind of, we watched it together for the first time, you know, in since Hot Fuzz had come out. And, um, you know, there were a couple of things we thought, oh, maybe we'd do that next time or maybe we'd do that. But we'd never ever like bring the film back, open the edit back up, change it and put it back out again because it's too late. It's already been done, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But what about the, when you're making Mission Impossible 7 or are they doing another Star Trek? I don't know. I hope so. It'd be great if they did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree, of course. But like, 
is that when McQuarrie, <laughs> when McQuarrie <laughs> and you guys are, are, are talking about it, are you saying let's subvert the fans or let's give them what they want? Cause, cause you know why I'm asking is I actually think there's a real danger in giving us what we want. I, I, think, I think we're fucking idiots. I'm speaking for my little slice of fandom is I hate that the streamers, all of them, are just sucking my dick. I really do. I, I don't like that they just suck my dick at, because they're like, he seems to like when we suck his dick, suck his dick. And like, I just go, <laughs> I can't. You know, when it hit me is, is and, and it's not against Hawkeye, it's Hawkeye comes out, Hawkeye has his own show and I start watching and I'm like, it's a weird feeling when you go, stop sucking my dick. Yeah. I'm sorry, I keep. I regret that I picked sucking my dick as the analogy, I've, but like, you know what I'm saying? I've never heard a better description of an algorithm than <laughs> stop sucking. Hey, he likes getting his dick sucked. Suck his dick. That's exactly what the algorithm is, you know. That's what it is. And you mentioned Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol said, no, shut the fuck up. Not yeah. suck your dick. He said, shut the fuck up. Here's a can of soup, dummy. Here's yeah. a can of soup. Because guess what? Life is art. You didn't even yeah. recognize that this is art. My job is to see art and I'll show it to you. And and if if Warhol signed with, you know, a major district, dist, dist, uh, he'd be doing uh, Progresso cans now. He'd be, yeah. he'd, they'd be giving us what we already had because that's sucking our dick. I don't want that. I, I, I want I want something I don't know that I want. I resent then, that they have these pot boiler plots that go, we have yeah. the data, leave them hanging on the pilot. And then they'll come. I'm like, leave me alone. I hate you. <laughs> what a beautiful rant. I think, that was <laughs> I think the problem is it comes back down to human beings. It's the trouble is we are generally programmed to take the path of least resistance. We don't really like being challenged when we are challenged we grow and it's great and life starts outside your comfort zone and all that bullshit. But economically speaking, people like getting their dick sucked. And so that's what the machine is going to do. It's going to just keep sucking. You know, it's not yes. going to go, Oh, how, why don't I put my finger up your ass? No, I'm going to keep sucking your dick. You know, <laughs> you made me feel so unalone. You, you took it to the next level in such a loving act. I said suck my dick so many times. You're like, finger up the asshole. And now we're both in it. We're both, we're co-conspirators. I love it. That's beautiful. But that's, what it, that's what it is. It's people, people want familiarity. And that that's what the, 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 the people that want to make money. So they just feed that one. And fan service. I fucking hate fan service. I hate it when, you know, you, 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 it's, it's happening so much these days. And, you know, I haven't seen any of these, these films that, where they do it, but, you know, bringing back, a character from a different film and putting it, but the same story and put it in the new version of the story. It's such a weird thing to do because it's like, wait, we have to bring back old things in order to make our new things viable. Now it's yeah. got to that point, you know? Yeah. 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 And I find it, I find it, you know, when you watch something and you can see that it's been specifically designed to please a certain demographic, because that's the demographic that are going to buy tickets. It's yeah. artistically bankrupt. It's completely bankrupt. Right. I want, to be, I want to go into the cinema and sit down and be surprised and challenged and pissed off. And, and also, defying expectations doesn't mean just doing the opposite. It doesn't mean just, you know... That's right. Do, it means doing something completely different. No, so, I, I don't want scripts and stories and notes that a fax machine could, could have given. It's like, well, we think... Han Solo should win. 
what if he loses? <laughs> it's, like, it's just, it's not, it's not binary. I, I think, you know, as a creative person, you're talking about your writing process. It's so much sexier and mysterious, like your dreams, like your dreams are so much weirder. I don't just mean the absurd ones. I mean, the good ones yeah. that have yeah. a story and a charge and like some sort of string. It's like, we're losing touch with the magic of creativity and it's just turning into like sucking dicks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking about life exists at your comfort zone. I know you did. I I made a joke about talking about you getting ripped and stuff, but having a kid, um, I, I, from what I heard, the mission impossible movies are very run and gun or they can be run and gun rewriting on the fly. Um, somebody told me a lot of T. Cruz's takes were like the only take they shot in Fallout. That that was a rumor I heard. Um, <laughs> anyway, talk about suffering. And I, if you want to tie it into, you, you got sober. I, I'm also a sober person. Oh, congrats! Yeah, and I, I it changed my life. And it, and it really it was one of those things where I was like, Pete the monkey, Pete the primate likes likes pushing the button and getting the treat. And it turns out addicts, I'm still an addict. I, you know what I mean? Like that's still here. We bought yeah. my parents some cookies. They're in town. And I was like, maybe literally I treat them like children. I was like, if I give them cookies, they might be happy. <laughs> maybe <laughs> they'll, they'll get kind of jazzed and they'll, they'll leave each other alone. And they didn't eat any of these grocery store cookies, just like white frosting cookies. And yeah. I, I'm not even going to tell you how many I ate. It was embarrassing. I still have that like, if it's oh, yeah. good, give it to Pete and and yeah. get, and uh, this is the voice of my addict side. It's like, Pete deserves all of it. Like, and, and the next one. And then, ne- and as soon as I swallow the cookie, my mouth goes, I miss cookie. And I go, okay, here's another <laughs> cookie. And then, and this is so forced, but like, I just got into running. I, this is my treadmill I'm pointing to. And I bought a cold plunge. I know that this people listen to this podcast. know I love talking about my cold plunge. <laughs> I, I I know it's obnoxious. I I'm 42. I'm just now getting to the idea that the real gold is on the other side of of no. The it's on the other side of limits. It's on mm. the other side of doing something you don't want to do, taking a, a job that you're afraid to do. The the first time I set my cold plunge to a really low uh, temperature, I had nightmares about it. Like I was really, I know that sounds silly, but I was like, what if my heart stops? What if I die? Like, go ahead. like the night like- before. <laughs> I, I know this is something I bought <laughs> with money for me. The, the joy that I get from getting up an hour before I have to leave and doing all these things. I'd love to hear you talk. If you can weave in, something about your sobriety. Cause I love sharing those messages for other people. Yeah. 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 And so, so not just giving yourself what, what your body wants or the animal wants, whatever that brought to mind, I'd love to hear it. I think when you, when you have an addictive personality, you, you just have to make sure those addictions are positive, you know? So, and also not necessarily, also don't get out of hand because you can get addicted to to running and you can get addicted to, to keeping fit. You know, you can overtrain and you can, um, you can endanger yourself in that way. But I, I feel like for me getting sober was, it just put things in perspective. I thought when my daughter was born um, that I was going to get fixed cause I was, you know, I was suffering. I was basically 
as a lot of people do, was sort of medicate, self-medicating with alcohol because it kind of changes how you feel briefly, mm. you know, for maybe half an hour, but then you have to drink more and more and more, and then you're just drunk all the time. Who did that sketch, Two and a Half Drinks? It's a British group. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen it? It, it goes, oh, no, it's, it's called Nearly Two Drinks. They right. go like, the secret to life is nearly two drinks. <laughs> you get one <laughs> drink and then nearly almost finish the second one. And then you kind of, but then, but then uh, you know, with me, you, you just keep going. But it was, yeah. it was only good for the nearly two drink t- 10 minutes. And then the rest yeah. of it is chasing it and ruining it with Thai food and late night fuck. And whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. it's, yeah, it's when it, there's a point in the evening when, drinking more is not going to make anything get better. You know, there's like a point when you are really happy and that's when you should just stop because anything further is going to end in poisoning. Yes. Yes. Like mentally speaking, um, I had to get the baseline straight so that I didn't want to go anywhere from it. I didn't want to escape to inebriation or whatever, or or being high. I just wanted, I wanted to make sure that, because whenever I hear people say, Oh, I have a glass of wine to take the edge off. I'm like, well, what do you what? What are you taking the edge off? What's wrong with the thing with the edge? <laughs> why why do you feel the need to do that? You know, and I'm not being preached. I just felt that getting sober was it removed a very literally toxic thing from my life. You know, because that's what drinking is. It's you know, you you put a chemical in your bloodstream and it affects your brain in a way that you know. Yes, it's kind of fun and it makes you a bit sociable, but ultimately you're poisoning yourself. You know, and I sound like a fucking reform drinker because i am but um you know, you're in a safe place I, I i i'll i'm keeping an eye on you too i don't think you're sounding preachy i think it sounds <laughs> what i find interesting about it because i used to be one of these people that would be drinking and you're kind of like quietly eyeing the exits you just don't want to admit it you're just sort of like you know this isn't really <laughs> i've put in the data like it's and it's not really working like it's not yeah. <laughs> doing what i wish it would do yeah. And what you're saying, I love that. It, I, I know you thought it sounded preachy, but when you ask the question, what am I taking the edge off? Like, why is there an edge and is there another way to fix it? Mm. Um, is that is that what you meant? Like, Yeah, absolutely. What are we doing? What are we doing? It says a lot about us as a species, again, that there are so many things in our society that that are designed to remove us from our normality, you know, our sort of you know, either to loosen us up or to make us not care. I mean, alcohol is a, is a, a very good anesthetic, you know, it'll just pretty much take the pain away physically and mentally, you know, and, and so, and it's utterly sanctioned as it's a gigantic multi-billion dollar industry. It kills more people than COVID every year, but nobody fucking mentions it because it brings in so much cash. Wow. So, you know, and that's, and the same as the drug trade, you know, which is not, no less um date more more dangerous fucking hell i just watched dope sick did you see that on uh, i haven't watched it yet no the story of oh my god i mean just the just the story alone the fact that this pharmaceutical company essentially was operating like a car is is a it's just an official cartel they're just supplying drugs killing a lot of people but yeah, but because it's making lots of money and it's official, it's kind of seen as being okay. It's right. incredible. Had they got the FDA to give them the slightly kind of the, the warning label that said less than 1% get addicted and bingo, you have like a, a, a an opioid epidemic in America. It's right. shocking to watch it. Right. But all these things, they're all there to take us away from who we are. And we have to ask the question, what is wrong with me? You know? 
Right. That's that's what my friend Pete Rollins is believe it. He's a philosopher. That's his job. He's a philosopher. And he said to me, he was like, alcohol is actually the symptom. He was like, it's not, it's not the problem. Like you're drinking isn't the problem. It's it's the yeah. symptom of the problem. And he told yes. me that while I was while I was still drinking, I was like, that's interesting. So what do you do now? I mean, I I, I have some guesses, but like what do you think was when I watched Mission Impossible Three, which I think is a perfect movie? Have you rewatched it recently? Yeah, it's so good. I it's my it's my favorite. I mean, Fallout is my favorite because it's the best one, but Three is my favorite. Does that make sense? <laughs> well, it's got Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think is the best baddie ever in all of the missions. So yeah. yes, and he's barely in it. He's not in it very yeah. much. He has no. Like, he just. He go, I'm gonna kill her. Do you have a wife? I'm, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> fucking kill her, and <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's in like four scenes, and my favorite part is when he also can fight. He sort of takes Ethan for a <laughs> for a go. Do you remember yeah. that? He does have the charge in his head, but it's a, it's a great moment. It, that one is incredible. Um, when what was my point? Oh, you're in Mission Impossible Three. This is Puffy Simon. Yes, and. Why did you stop? Like, what what snapped you out of it? I hit rock bottom, you know. It got to the point when I think I went to Comic-Con to promote Paul and I kind of just went missing for about four days. And then I got back to the UK and um, and my wife was like, I'd supposed to have stopped drinking. Um, like, I could have, you know, I couldn't have done. I just, I, I sort of fell off the wagon in San Diego and then I got back and then, it was time to go to somewhere where I could get some help, you know? And mm. once I figured out what was going on and why, why I was drinking that amount. And then I realized, Oh, hang on. Life is a lot better when I'm not doing that. And so I, I addressed the cause of my drinking. And after that, I found I didn't want to drink anymore, which is great. Now I, I, you know, I train every day and I, I go snowboarding. I, that, that, that's part of my kind of happiness and part of my, and I would feel a little bereft without those things, but I'm not addicted in the sense that um, I'll die if I keep doing it, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, I don't want to, I, I believe you're, you're a boundaried person and a grown ass <laughs> man. So I'm, I'm not capable of pushing you somewhere that you don't want to go, but I want you to know that I'm aware that I don't want to go anywhere you don't want to go. There's two questions. How did you get to the cause of it? And then what can you, what are you comfortable telling us was the cause? Because not, not for clickbait. There's no click. There's not going to be a link that says Simon Egg tells us it's not that kind of show. <laughs> it's because I was that person that was going, wait, what, what would a cause sound like? Cause I, I didn't know what mine was. Yeah. No, it's very simple. I, 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 I suffered from depression, like major depressive disorder. And um, I was unable to ask for help due to whatever sort of childhood, whenever whenever my core beliefs got uh, cemented as they do between the ages of seven and 15, that's when the real core beliefs kind of root in and they're very hard to unpick. So if you go through stuff in that age, it affects you for the rest of your life for whatever reason. you know, whether that's relationships or sex or anything, all your all your kind of big world attitudes are are formed in that period, and they're incredibly hard to undo once they're done. But with therapy, with with actually looking into it and dis- deciding or realizing why you behave certain ways, um, you can change them. And one of the things I couldn't do, 
And it was probably something to do with being a man and the way that we're raised as males in society. I could not ask for help. I could not ask for help. So even though I was depressed, I couldn't go to someone and say, I have this disorder. Can you help me somehow, either with therapy or medication or whatever? Instead, I just got drunk because that changed how I felt for a little bit. Mm. As soon as I realized that was the problem and I asked for help, then I didn't need to drink anymore because someone actually did help me with the depression, you know, and that the cause of my drinking was then taken away. But the hardest thing was to say, help me. And that was it. That was the thing. That is <laughs> against my, my father's on my mind. It's so funny because he's in town and I, and I love him obviously, but clearly the way that I say that is loaded, isn't it? But like, <laughs> but, but, you know, like, my wife, it was one of the most kind of baller moves in our wedding vows. So my parents are obviously there. She was, she said, you know, she's sort of self-serving, but she was like, I love that you know that true strength is owning your weaknesses. She said that to me. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you said that because my dad was there. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and, and like, because I've been trying for a very long time to kind of convince my father that he doesn't have to play the role of my dad. It's yeah. one of the reasons why we have... Our, our relationship is a little bit stunted and I keep trying to tell him like, you don't have to be dad. Like, it's okay to tell me about, in fact, I love those. And, and this podcast has been my way of sharing all of my vulnerabilities and weirdnesses. And you know what, honestly, I think that's part of my sobriety. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm able to is yeah. even though this isn't therapy, I did go to therapy as well, but like naming them and talking about them and even talking to you and being like, Oh yeah, we're sort of taught that weakness is is wrong and shame yeah. and sadness and depression these are things you should keep to your fucking self and yeah. booze when you say between 7 and 14 i really think that's when i learned that people aren't safe that's like one of my core negative beliefs is like people yeah. aren't safe so when i drank i drank alone and right. when i say that alcohol was like a friend i really thought of it it had completely anthropomorphized into a, a into an entity yeah. And that, that like, I remember being at a, uh, I was performing, doing stand up at a music fest and was in the middle of the desert in Washington state somewhere. And I was like, and I was there on the bill and some of my friends would be there, but they wouldn't be there for two days. So I was alone. I was staying in a yurt. It was like the, it was so depressing. I was right. It was not a good scene. <laughs> and I thought alcohol, and it, it was like, I realized there was a friend who was always with me. Like, and I went and I ate dinner and had probably four or five martinis and just got loaded by myself and thought I was, it didn't work, but it felt like my safe friend who wouldn't judge me would never challenge me. It yeah. just sucks my dick basically. Yeah. <laughs> We're back even, to the dick. Yes. Even the hangover was like a reliable uh, event. I knew, yeah. okay, now I have to deal with this hangover. And even that was part of the relationship. Yeah. Um, you, your parents divorced when you were seven. And I'm not just saying this. When I read that, I was like, fuck seven. That's as young as you can be to be really young, but old enough to remember it. Yes. And, and it seems like that it might've informed your reality. Is that part of what you were alluding to? And everything that happened afterwards with step parents and, you know, it kind of, um, 
it, it, it created my worldview. And um, but also, I think you know some, something as simple as, as as asking for help is is a societal thing as well. And I think boys, and I you know I'm, I, I hate to go into bat for for guys at this unfashionable time, um, but um, but men. If, if there is a hardship for, for young boys and men in the world, it's that we are encouraged to be boys and young men and being boys and young men requires not showing weakness, not asking for help. That's why men never read instructions. That's why we never ask for directions. It's right. because we've been constantly coded to, to think we can do everything by ourselves, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it doesn't even put a dent into the shit that women go through, but it is a, it is a hardship that, that men face and, and, causes a lot of you know there's an epidemic of male suicide in the, in this country at the moment you know men between the ages of 35 and 50 and that's all damage that was incurred when they were young you know so it's um it's 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 good if you can escape it yeah no i i totally hear you it, and it it did happen to you it was it, you inherited it like you it was yeah. handed down to you and it's a learned behavior you know do you feel, as a dad now do you feel like and this is something I felt is that with the, with your child, you have this opportunity to not do the shit that your parents did. And I love my mom and dad. This is not a complaint. I was not hard done by in any way, but you think, Hey, I can do this. And they won't feel like I do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like that's the thing. And already without shitting on my folks, my daughter has never, I don't think has ever kissed my, her grandparents. She doesn't like kisses. She just isn't into kissing. Yeah. And that's such a powerful thing. It's like an emotional thing for both me and her mom to be like, we're in the kitchen going, if you don't want to kiss, you say, not right now. Not right now. Thank you. Yeah. And she does it. And we're like, and she's powerful. And we're like teaching her, like, I don't want that. Yeah. And like, I was such a sweet boy, but going back to my mom saying, I'm only happy when you're here. It's like, that's a burden. Don't do yeah. that. Don't do that I, to me. <laughs> it's unfair to say that. It's unfair know? to say that because I, I deal with a lot of guilt thinking that I'm the only thing that can fix you. And when, do, how often do I see you? You know, it, it, like it's, it's, it's hard knowing someone you love is suffering, but yeah. then, my therapy was getting over that going, that's not your responsibility. It's basically my therapist is going, not right now. Thank you. Not right now. Yeah. So to see my daughter being like, I think it's so powerful in healing to both me and her mom to have her. And she does it with me all the time and I'm not faking it. I love it. She goes, don't touch me and pushes me <laughs> away. And I go at a girl, at a girl. <laughs> and I don't even mean for the serious stuff. I just mean for life, like speak yeah. your truth. The other thing I was going to say was it's been so helpful in my relationship is just calling out when you're embarrassed. Another thing that you're not allowed to do as a man mm. is, is I find it very, very helpful to like, I catch myself getting upset and I go, I think I I'm just embarrassed that I didn't know how to do that. Or, you know what I mean? Like the instructions yeah. or the direction I'm embarrassed. Cause for me, it's often a feeling of embarrassment that I'll, I'll puff up and I'll, I'll, I'll try to be big to draw away attention from the Absolutely. fact that I'm, really, I'm just embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. It's embarrassing. You're at a table read, you say the, you pronounce a word wrong 
yeah. I'm, I'm embarrassed. You know what I mean? Like you and I develop comedic personalities to avoid feeling embarrassed. If you're anything like me, that's the, yeah, and, yeah. and there's a real power at the end of that journey to just go like, you know what? I have a relationship and, and I want to be the kind of dad that can go like, sweetheart, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Like I, I yeah. blew it and I'm no, sorry. Like, not, not covering it up, actually just owning it. I think that's important. And I, and I, and it's kind of liberating as well when you say that, because yeah. the awkwardness immediately goes away because the room just relaxes. It's like, okay, he knows he just fucked up and it can go the other way. There's a laugh and we're all fine. You know, in fact, the honesty is the best bit you can do is to just call. Yeah, him. exactly. Well, let's, Oh, I wanted, have you rewatched Mission Impossible? I know you're not in it, but Mission Impossible 1 in a while. Yeah, we, we all watched it. Uh, we were shooting in Norway last year and, and all us, the, the new cast, um, Hayley Atwell and Pom Clementieff and all those guys, we all watched it on a big screen in the no. place where we went back to the beginning. Yeah. I, I think there's some really great parts to it. And I want to have, <laughs> he, he has a meeting. <laughs> With a woman, oh no, it's with with the with the secretary, and he says, uh, "There's a, we have a contact named Max. He's always referring to job three three fourteen. Yeah, and then T Cruz. This is how far the movies have come. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but in whatever year that was, it was totally acceptable. We all bought it. No one thought it was weird that he yeah. goes back to his room." gets on his laptop and he goes, Max, Max, Max. He types in max.com. That's, <laughs> that's his first, that's his first guess. Max.com. Well, the guy's name is Max, maybe max.com. And that, what's funny is that wasn't funny then. We knew so little about the internet. We were just impressed that there was a .com in it. That's so true. And then the way he finds them is by writing emails to Job, the book of Job discussion groups, Job at, no, max at Job314.com. <laughs> and it works. He get, that's how he finds the person. I just, I just couldn't get over it. I just wanted to share that. Maybe it was that easy back then. Maybe, you know, before. That was covert. Somebody bought her domain name and now uh, charges Max to be uh, to buy it back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it, I also it was, it's a really it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's very interesting that movie because it's Brian De Palma and it's much it's a different animal to the to what they are now. It's just yeah. you know it's it's a bit more sort of like a sixties spy movie. Yes, and, um, but it's great. I liked it a lot, and it's great because the guy that plays the. Uh, um, What's his name? The character. Anyway, Henry Cerny, who plays this character, who's in Mission, is back for Mission 6. So you've seven, sorry. So you have oh, this, really? the guy that he, when Ethan says, you've never seen me upset, the guy that he he's talking to when he throws the gum against the fish tank, that character is back in seven. And it's, uh, oh. it's, lovely. yeah, it's great. That's incredible. I also noticed watching that one T. Cruz thing from my end. T. Cruz has been doing T. Cruz since then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like we've all sort of adapted and grown, but T. Cruz was always good. <laughs> like, like, you watch that movie, and, but he's giving the same performance that he's giving in Fallout. And that's not to say, what I'm, I'm not saying he's a one-trick pony. I'm saying, impossibly, he was cool in 2021. The, the standard of cool now still applies to 1997 Tom Cruise. Yeah. He, that, that yeah. like, when he's putting something together and he's like, 
Like he just knows how to do it. He does. He really <laughs> there, does. There's the nothing form- embarrassing. Yeah, I think he he absolutely. I think with Tom as well, and I'm speculating here. I even though I've known him for a long time, I think you know he he's been incredible in in Jerry Maguire and in Magnolia. He's given performances that he should have won the Oscar for Jerry Maguire, I think, and and Magnolia. I, I think he has an incredible range as an actor. But I think maybe that that sort of snubbing that he kept experiencing from from Hollywood. He just thought, fuck it, I'm going to do what I do, you know, what I'm really good at. Um, not that he's not really good at those things, but I'm going to just make these big, entertaining movies, you know. And he is really the last movie star that, in, alive, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I foresee a time when he gets, and I, I don't know when this is going to be, could be after 80, but when he's too old to be hanging off planes, he's going to have another phase of his career where he gets back into that kind of character acting. And that's when he'll, you know, get the plaudits he deserves for that, yeah. that skill set, which he definitely does have, I think. Yeah. Well, one of my favorites is collateral. And, and now I, I've totally broken my rule. I said, Simon, I'm not, <laughs> I, <laughs> but collateral, he's not really being an action. He has some action moments, but like, he's just being kind of like a, a scary bad guy, the yeah. whole movie. And it's, he's fantastic. great. You know, Tom is great. And I've said this to his face. He's brilliant when he plays an asshole. He's yeah. got when he plays a character who is a little bit flawed. That's one of the reasons I love his performance in Jerry Maguire is because he's a guy desperately trying not to be an asshole. He's an asshole trying not to be an asshole in that yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. It's just beautiful. The subtleties of that scene when he's he's talking to Cuba Gooding Jr. and Regina King, and they're they're very much in love. They're two characters, and he's sat there with uh, with Dorothy Boyd and trying to pretend to be in love with her and it's just fucking brilliant <laughs> it's such a masterclass. and when he's being interviewed in magnolia he, he's getting off the stage basically being manic like yeah being a manic person yeah he can't stop taking his shirt off and doing handstands and stuff and then she's asking yeah. him about his dad and watching him slowly melt into anger yeah and then only to have the punchline when he's pray like basically pleading with his dying dad. Yeah. It, it destroys you. And not that you need to pass on a message to T. Cruz for me, but I heard a podcast where Paul Thomas Anderson wouldn't stop saying about how nobody's better than Tom Cruise. I like was I, I forget forgive me for forgetting which one it was, but he was just like, nobody's better than Cruz. Nobody, nobody's better than Cruz. And, and yeah. he's like, I'd love to work with Cruz again. And I was like, this. This this speaks to your theory because who's better yeah. than Paul Thomas Anderson and who would know, know more than Paul Thomas Anderson? Yeah, um, Simon, real quick, and we already sort of touched on it. Um, atheist, <laughs> real quick, meaning of life. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, like you already, I, you 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 think we we agree? I'm like a mystical woo woo person, not a religious yeah. person. I, I believe God is a metaphor right. for a mystery. Um, which is Joseph Campbell's definition of God. It's a metaphor for a mystery. So that's the God I believe in. I believe in, yeah. we're in a conundrum, we're in a predicament, we're in sort of a situation, we're yeah, in a mission. <laughs> <laughs> a mission impossible, if you will. That we Well, I mean, the story of Adam and Eve is many things, but to me, it is our hand in choosing duality. You eat from the tree of good and evil. So whenever I hear this, your mission, if you choose to accept it, there, that story, I think one of the reasons we wrote, human beings wrote that story, was to give our, we're co-conspirators in the pain and the suffering. 
because we wanted good, we had to get evil. Like, yeah. because we wanted to know pleasure, we had to get pain. Because you can't have pleasure without, that's no, how they exist. Yeah. Exactly. So when I, when I say I'm a, a mystical or a spiritual person, that's what I'm talking about. I'm trying to invite you to the table and not be like, this is me disagreeing with you. It sounds like you agree that we're in a mystery, that there's an energy, and you don't feel the need to anthropomorphize or worship it or read stories about it. Tell me, tell yeah. me what, what does your atheism look like? It's just the fact that I'm okay with not knowing. Uh, it's okay not to know. I mean, we, we as humans, you know, we're pattern-forming animals. We like, we're scared by... Um, we're frightened by the unknown, so we tend to fill in the gap so that there is no unknown, and that's very much what religion does. It just, it just, it, it it's a salve. It just soothes us because it fills in all the gaps. It explains everything very neatly, very in a very pro us way. And and for that's a lot of people, so true. It's it's you're never the bad guy. Yeah. And, uh, sorry, but it's a Franciscan Richard Rohr who says when Christians read the Bible, they always side with Jesus. They never think they might be the Romans. They never think they might be the mer. Like why that you you just really hit it on the head. Like we read yeah. it like we're the heroes, and we're back to what we said about movies. Keep going. Exactly, exactly. It's it's a kind of a you know we all suffer from existential dread, and that's something that's a product of our our ability to to know that we're going to die. And and you know we we all of us go about various ways of 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 soothing that uh that sense of fear but i'm okay with not knowing i'm i don't need to know how the universe i'd love to know and it's fascinating to hear theories about it but i'm very very evidence-based and i i I have to kind of like always defer to occam's razor about what is probably most likely you know and 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 the idea of a bearded man in the sky you know making us out of clay just feels like the least likely really if we're going to talk about the kind of literal readings of 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 christianity at least um i'm just cool with with not knowing and it's exciting not to know it's it's sort of amazing not to know and and when you do find out things that are backed up by evidence and by cold hard fact and and it's it's amazing to 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 look at that and think wow that's that's reality, you know, the atoms and, you know, protons, all that kind of stuff. That's all real. And I just, I don't need, I don't need to know the end. I'm like a, you know, no spoilers guy. I used to draw cartoons for the New Yorker and I must have submitted this so many times where uh, a woman is dying on her deathbed and her son who's watching her die says, no spoilers. I thought that was so funny. Uh, clearly, I don't think anyone even got what I meant, but I meant what you're saying. Yeah. Like, if you were meant to know, I think you would know. Again, this is Alan Watts, who's, who's a Buddhist, uh, who also had Christian leanings, but he was a Buddhist philosopher. He, he had that whole thing where it was like, the not knowing is the thing. Like, yeah. ha- have the experience. Like, honor that you don't know and also like i i don't even know if it's possible to know i don't know what explanation could so many things like how your ear works well there's water and there's a crystal i'm like fuck off that just sounds (laughs) like you tried to make it boring and confusing enough so i would lose interest and it's the same thing with the solar system it's expanding and it's in i'm just like i'm out it's like it, it it gets to the point where you can't house it in your brain so you get frustrated it's not for us that's the thing is that also again it's our, our our incredible egocentricity that we think that we have the right to know 
or that we should, or the capacity to know. And that we We're deserve not, to know. That we deserve to know. We're yeah. just a part of it all. And not even the most important part. I mean, if you get into, obviously, the, the big moral question that people set, tend to cite when you start talking about atheism, is like, well, without atheism, with atheism, there's no morals, there's no Bible, there's no morals. It's like, of course there's morals. We create morals because they they are conducive to our society. It's not good to kill people. It's not good to cause pain. It's not good. All these things which generally are, you know, sort of um, are proposed as morals, it's generally common sense, you know? Yes, yes. But, but really, ultimately, we aren't any more important than a fucking ant. We aren't. Yeah. In terms of our molecular yes. significance in the galaxy, or, just because we yeah. think we are doesn't make us more that doesn't mean to say that we can go around just killing people because no one's any more important than an ant that's not why you don't kill people you don't kill people because it's it is wrong you know right? yes well you could flip that the other way too and you say uh you are as precious as an ant you know what i mean yeah i, I, I like to say thank you pete that's much better <laughs> well I, there's a stu- there's a story of i I'm going to get it wrong. And it's like 90% of stories attributed to the Buddha are not of actual stories. There's no real, but whatever, they, they, they're still lovely. Going to see a king and, and Buddha bound down because he saw a line of ants going across the floor. And that yes. is, there's also stories I've heard of non-Buddhas that are dying. They're in the hospital dying and they see a, a, an ant or a bug crawling across their tray and they're moved. The same consciousness that animates you is animating that bug. Absolutely. The way that I frame that is I I like to think that's how precious you are, that this, we don't have to give it a label, but this wanted to be, and it, so this thing that's greater than us wanted to be so badly that it became you. You are an expression of the infinite mystery alive just for a, a flick of time. Could you be any more important? I don't mean also unimportant. You're also you're everything, but also you're everything. Yeah. It, it goes both ways. It, it's sort of a paradox. You're not important, and you're the most important thing in the world. And but it's like look, if you took a molecule from a from an oak tree and a molecule from a human being, and you put them next to each other, and said which one's more important, you probably couldn't say. At what point? Does yeah. the one, as it gathers more molecules around it, become more important than the other? Why are humans more important than oak trees? We think yeah. they are. We're humans. But really, they're not. And then the clue being that they create our atmosphere. I mean, like, this goes back to the Matrix, that we really are a virus, that we're cutting up our own body, that we're yeah. mowing down our own lungs to create beef. Is <laughs> the mo- because, and back to follow the money. I can make money and go to Bora Bora more often than you do. If I yeah. mow down my own lungs, the rainforest, and get cows there uh, that don't belong there, farting, destroying the ozone, it doesn't matter yeah. because I'll be in Bora Bora eating tuna tartare that was also imported. Like, it's just losing the interconnectedness. And, and the atoms are a clue. What's that? That's, why, that's why we don't make sense. That's why, I, that's why I think we might be a little mistake that just ar- arose from a... Uh, you know, a, a weather pattern and some psilocybin, and suddenly you've got this. We're a spanner and we're a wrench in the works, is what we are. But what's you know? interesting is the whole universe moves forward because of wrenches, and this goes back to the villains in the mission movies, <laughs> right? Yeah, is like we don't 
it's an Alan Watts thing I quote all the time. It's like, if you could feel perfect peace and bliss and orgasm even, and it just, it's on a crescendo, it just keeps getting better and better and better. You can do that for however long you want. How long do you do it? Even if the answer is a hundred thousand years. Yeah. He goes, at what point do you make a button that says something happens? So yeah. I mentioned the asteroid, something that you don't know happens. Yeah. Like a, like a wrench in the works. Yeah. So the way that, and we see this with childbirth. We see this with uh, my divorce. Uh, we see this with your parents' divorce. Like we see that, like it or not, breaking and reconstructing seems to be one of the things that the universe does to create itself. So, yeah, if, sure. if, and I agree with you that we are a monkey wrench. I would say hallelujah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, good. Here's some fucking shit. Have you seen the shit? <laughs> And it leads to people becoming more conscious, people awakening people, like, because the greater the suffering, the greater the peace. I didn't mean yeah. to quote the movie, but, right but back like, to fallout. we're back to follow. But like my wife left me when I was 28 years old and Simon, I shudder to think of who I'd be if I was still with her. And like, I know there's a lot worse things than divorce happening. But when I see meteors killing dinosaurs leading to your dog and your daughter and me yeah. talking to you over the internet right now, uh, I see that yearning energy progressing at all costs, like almost yeah. like an insane fractal doing whatever it needs to do to continue. <laughs> yeah. Including the fucking weird. Whatever comes after us will be as, as important and as vital in, in, in the big, big story. Do you know what I mean? That's it. Yeah, you said it better. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Well, I, I, you did go long. I appreciate it. You went the distance. I, you, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, we I, did. Huh? I sure hope you enjoy. I, I was, I wasn't doing a podcast as much as I. It's, it's rare to have real conversations with people that you admire and and be, even though it's so high fi it's also low fi If I, oh, if I had gotten through your team and said, would you just talk to me for two hours? I mean, both of us would have said no to that. So I'm glad that there's this format. They can they can afford us something kind of small. Absolutely, it's always great to to have these conversations. It's much more edifying, I think, than just so. Tell me about this, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I I loved it, and we I, I had so many things, but you covered them naturally. I have one last question, and I think you'll like it. It's can you remember a time in your life that you laughed really, really, really hard? Maybe you were a kid, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're on set. Maybe these are often clues to people's answers is somebody fell, somebody farted. <laughs> Those are often the answer. But I have to imagine with you, I mean, you work with some of the funniest people on the, on the planet. And I think it's so funny that you're an, an action star now because I know you first and foremost as this, as this great comedian. Yeah. Uh, and obviously you're funny in those things, but you know, my mom doesn't know about your other stuff. She knows you <laughs> as the guy, she knows you as Benji. Um, <laughs> So I have to think the outtakes, the riffs, a take you just couldn't get through. Well, I, the thing that Nick Frost makes me laugh um, more than anybody in the world. Like he he has me in absolute fits of hysterics. And there's been so many times when he and I have just found ourselves in that situation. And and so most of my career, you know, I've been working with Nick. So there's there's countless times. But I do remember a time when I was a kid when um, we were, it was my, um, 
what, what would it have been? I don't know what the, I was in junior school, I'm trying to think of the equivalent terms in the US. I was eight years old, basically. Mm-hmm. So whatever grade that is. And my teacher, whose name was Mr. Miller, he farted <clears throat> at the table he was sitting on collapsed. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the most incredible moments. <laughs> he, it, he sat down, it shifted a little bit. <laughs> As he steadied himself, he farted loudly, and then the table completely exploded. <laughs> and it was for a, for a can you imagine a classroom full of eight year olds just beholding that? It was the most pure comic moment in history, and he just had to stand up and fucking take it because we were just all like, ah! <laughs> it was like God appearing to us. <laughs> <laughs> that is. As good as it gets. I mean, it was It was not only was it a fart, which is at eight years old, the funniest thing. Let me just rephrase that. At any age is the yes. funniest. It was the fact that it was followed by a moment of incredible slapstick comedy. A it was destructive just fart. A fart that took fart. down a table. He farts floated his table. And there we are. <laughs> Thank you so much, Simon. I hope whatever you're doing today, you enjoy it. Uh, Thank you. Are you at home? Yeah, I am. We're going to go. The neighbors are coming over. We're going to watch Elf. We're going to have a Christmas evening. We already watched it. We're we're almost, Leela is three. She's almost old enough to enjoy it. She won't let us watch it, but it is so good. Yeah. Um, Enjoy it. And uh, we have the guests say the catchphrase at the end. It's how we sign off. Would you say keep it crispy? Um, I can give you more info, but it doesn't mean anything uh, bad. It just, it's just silly. I will. Keep it crispy. Wow. What an honor. Simon, thank you so much. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Lots of love.